I'm Jason Harmon, and this is API Intersection, where you'll get insights from experienced API practitioners to learn best practices on things like API design, governance, identity auth, versioning, and more. All right, welcome back to the API Intersection podcast. As always, I'm Jason Harmon, CTO at Stoplight, your host. And today I'm really excited by a very different and unique background with our guest here, Alexi Akimov from Audion. It's going to tell us a little bit about kind of how they do you know, their API program and that sort of thing. And uh, our co-host today is Phil Sturgeon, also from Stoplight. So maybe Phil, give us a little uh, brief about yourself, and then Alexi, give us kind of an overview of what you do at Audion. Hey, everyone. I've been helping out on the product uh, side of things, doing a lot of open source work and, and building some of the tools like Prism, Spectral, and Elements for a while. And now I am working on DevRel, so I get to talk to interesting people all the time. Hello, everyone. Thank you for having me today. So my name is Alexei. I'm working at Adyen as a head of API, and I'm currently responsible for different API projects, API initiatives, also API design and consistency. And also we have a developer uh, experience team where we work on different developer relations and other efforts to make our integrations easier. Now, I, I have a pretty decent idea what Adyen does after my time at PayPal and Braintree working with you guys. I think, actually, I left right about the time you joined there, so I don't know that we overlapped, but maybe for listeners, a little bit about what Adyen does. So, yeah, Adyen uh, is a payment processing company. Originally started in 2006 in the Netherlands, but now it's a global company. We have offices all over the world. And our unique uh, proposition is that we have a single platform processing payments in more than 200 different uh, local payment methods all over the world, which makes it really attractive for many big and uh, mid-sized merchants and customers. And uh, you can imagine, so that is a big platform. There are thousands of services and thousands of different APIs. So it's a lot of work to be done. And it's exciting because it's been successful in the last years and growing very quickly. Indeed. Yeah, I think I'd find it hard to believe if folks hadn't heard of it. <laughs> These days doing e-commerce stuff, especially if you do any business in Europe, you, you're going to run across Audion. So I think the part that I'm, I'm most fascinated with Alexi is his background is very non-traditional, like for ending up kind of running all this API stuff. I think, you know, it's like you look and go, okay, CS degree, cool, interesting. And then like a decade and a half of tech writing before you got into this. So how did all that transpire? <laughs> like, how does that add up? Yeah, I get this question very often. So first of all, uh, I'm not running that all API stuff myself, right? So it's a huge team uh, of experts who are working all together. So I would never cre get credits for all this hard work. But in general, indeed, um, I spent many years in technical writing. But so I started my career with uh, software development, basically. I got my education, I got my master's doing some neural network pattern recognition work. And then I was fascinated by a lot of algorithms and frameworks that were available back then. At the same time, I felt a lot of passion in uh, technical communication and also maybe developer advocacy and things like that. And I was lucky enough to get into technical writing because this gave me opportunity to still write code and try out a lot of things. At the same time, to help other developers to integrate with the products that I was working on. And at the same time, my background as a software developer was always helping me to go that extra step, actually to always try more things to give suggestions, to get better understanding sometimes why things work in this way and how we can do this better. 
And this eventually helped me to transition into multiple roles. And this also eventually helped me to become a head of API. I guess at the same time, it doesn't mean that this is only like maybe way for all the technical writers. I think technical writers usually are such unique people in every organization because they have very specific view on your product that you create that usually nobody else has. And they're quite often the first users of your product. That's why one of my recommendations to every other company is to make sure your technical writers are involved early enough in the process for every product that you create, that you empower them with the right tools that you also really help them to keep up with their technical skills. And this will also help you eventually to create not only wonderful technical documentation, but also make your products better. I concur completely that like tech writers involved, especially with API stuff or, or anything developer-centric, they're like your biggest customer advocate in some ways and the earliest one. I like that you said uh, tech writers often your first customer for something. That's really cool. You mentioned in the team that you have there that you kind of have this developer experience focus side that's a little and maybe a little more DevRel component to it, and then kind of a more API design bit. How large of a team is this, and how how big is that relative to say your kind of engineering or company size overall? Yeah, so in our case, uh, we have our main engineering hub here in the Netherlands, where we have several hundreds of developers in different roles working on the platform and all the related products. And in this case, of course, APIs is such a large topic. So there are multiple teams and multiple people that I have to we work together on a daily basis. And for many of the things, these are all the relevant teams who really own the APIs and who can implement the changes, who come us for the advice and with whom we work on making sure the developer experience is the best that we can ever provide for our customers. At the same time, we do see that developer experience is an important topic on its own. And there are a lot of components that nobody else can really own separately, especially when you need to implement changes in our main frameworks to have this in all APIs across the board. And for that, we have a dedicated team focused on developer experience where we have several developers focused on backend, frontend stuff, also like product people, designers, and developer advocates. And altogether, we look at the developer journey on end-to-end. So not only for a specific product or for a specific team, and not only on the backend-to-backend APIs. So we look at this holistically and try to see, okay, where are the pain points where we can improve something? And uh, then it's either our team or maybe other teams who will be implementing the change after all. But we are the main experts and we are the main drivers for the change. And in this sense, what's also crucial is that we constantly receive feedback, not only internally, but also externally. That's why we have developer advocates also embedded in this team, where we can go to different events, conferences. Maybe we'll have also some in-person conferences soon. I really hope for that. But also organize different, I don't know, Twitch uh, streaming or things like that, where we can explain, okay, this is our product and get the live feedback. And based on this conversation, we also have valuable input for our teams, but also this really encourages our audience because they understand that they give feedback and this is sure. And this is not just a forum or stack profile where, of course, you can get help, but then uh, the product is not improved after all. And of course, uh, it's a fantastic team. We are growing it. So I don't know if anybody is looking for a uh, similar role and want to join us. Feel free to contact me at any time. 
yeah, I would say anybody anybody looking to work in API programs and stuff, you know, always <laughs> feel free to reach out to this podcast. We certainly, uh, I think everybody that comes on the show is looking to hire. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I know these things get released later and, uh, you know, this will come out when it's not quite so time relevant. But Phil and I both did a conference this week virtually. And I got to say, like, it left me lacking in so many ways. <laughs> I miss just... You know, hanging out, talking with the nerds, not talking to them. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to in-person events too. Yeah, and when you make a talk and you like, if you dare to make a joke in it, you have no idea if it went well or not. You're just kind of like, everyone hated it. Yeah, you just <laughs> send it to space. Like, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> so, there's two like follow-ups on that for me. Is one. A lot of places call developer experience. It really means developer portal. And it sounds like maybe you're taking a bigger picture than that. And then the second bit is like, how many people are actually on your team versus this more federated approach with different kind of subject matter experts? Yeah, so on the first topic, I definitely see this common pattern rising in the industry that, of course, developer portals are important. But again, developer portal, it can mean a lot of different things. So for some people, just a documentation which is, of course, already great start if it's comprehensive, if it's well-organized, if the research, and if it's written in a, in a way that is uh, yeah, basically easy to follow. So then this is one part of it. But of course, developer portal can contain different, I don't know, links to Postman or OpenAPI collections and things like that, or it can uh, have more interactive elements. And this becomes really a place where developers can come and try out different things which is also a very good step, but then it becomes really difficult to see if this is the same as all the other tools are providing. Like for example, with Postman, you can already have a very nice interactive environment, but it's not a developer portal in this case, right? We still see the developer experience is much more than that because, I mean, ideally like very good UI, then the same for counts for very good API you should be able to integrate with this maybe without reading any documentation or with little less time spent on documentation. So usually people come to you to try out your APIs, not because they love reading your documentation, because they need to solve a specific task. They have just, I don't know, 15 minutes to try out this solution and then another solution and then five other solutions, make their decision and based on that, make architectural decisions and go forward. Maybe then later in the process, there will be time when uh, they will spend hours and hours reading your developer portal. But before that, they really need to have very good, delightful experience. And we can measure, for example, the first time they make an API call or the first time they complete a payment with a very simple payment method and then also very complicated payment methods. So a lot of these things, they're quite crucial in the process because expectations become high and higher every year from what you can do with different API products and in, in general what you can experience with modern software. And if you're doing something that you were doing 10 years ago, probably it's not going to work anymore. People will not be happy with that and they will just ignore you. Yeah, so, so you make sure no one publishes PDFs, right? <laughs> <laughs> this was the case when I joined uh, Adyen, so we were in, in the process of transitioning from PDFs to online portals. And um, yeah, of course... Uh, I think manually updated Word documents that are then exported as PDF. So how was that even managed? <laughs> yeah, so of course, uh, there are very complex systems based on maybe data principle when you can update and output this to multiple formats. 
And so you can solve that, right? But does it make sense in this case? Probably not. We want to update quickly, separately, independently, stay agile. So basically all the things that are applicable to, I don't know, platform architecture, they're also applicable to any other parts of technology that we're doing. Yeah, I, I love that you call out that. I mean, I feel like people get mixed up. They hear experience and they think user experience must mean like some website somewhere, but that, you know, holistically, the experience of the developer is what you're trying to gauge. And the APIs themselves are actually the biggest surface there, right? So uh, much like many of our, our other guests, it sounds like you're doing this kind of federated, decentralized approach for the most part of kind of drawing people in, which is great. We keep, I mean, we hear that from everybody. That's that's what works. Big centralized teams don't make sense. But that, I guess, implies that you're doing some form of kind of review or kind of collaborative design process here. I'd love to hear kind of how you approach that with this kind of developer experience and how things are going to externalize and all that in mind. You know, and and just how do you work with folks? How do you give that feedback? Is there formal stuff? Is it informal? These are things that I think a lot of people are trying to figure out. It's like, you know, we know we should do API reviews, but how should it work exactly? And I think, you know, listeners would really appreciate getting some insight there. Yeah, uh, thank you for asking. Actually, it's also the topic that I'm very interested in myself and I'm just waiting for someone maybe to write a book, how to properly do that. And currently I'm looking at Phil because I know that Phil is good in writing amazing books. Yeah, so in this case, when we started doing this actively a few years ago, basically we looked at what are the entirety of all our APIs and where we really need to have um, more federational governance. And obviously here I'm talking more on the API design and consistency side. And we have, as I uh, told before, hundreds of thousands of internal APIs and services for different parts of our platform where we consciously don't do a lot of API design and interviews. So there are some, of course, security practices and other style guides and a lot of things that usually developers can manage. But the main reason for that is that we are the clients of our APIs, basically. We can always uh, easily change and have much more control there. Our main focus is currently on public APIs. And basically, with public APIs, we see that once the version goes live, then it's done and it's there forever. It's very interesting observation because like maybe with different products, even with iOS versions, I have my iPhone updated silently every night and I even don't know what's happening there. It's just always on the latest version. But that's not what our customers are doing. They integrate it with us and if everything works well, and this is also our goal that everything works well, so they don't have any reasons to migrate from that. This will mean that everything that we decide now, everything that goes public, stays there for a significant amount of time until we really have reasons and other products and can help our customers to migrate to new versions of our APIs. This means quite some responsibility and quite some alignment because, of course, we are a single platform. Of course, we want to have nice experience, integration experience with our APIs. This starts with very basic things, of course, like camel case versus snake case and consistent naming of common classes and things like that. But one thing that is very important, and I keep explaining also internally and externally, that API design is not only about naming things. So it's not something that you can say, okay, this is my API, and I, I'm just asking you for help. How can I name this field? Like, what's the proper English for that? In this case, of course, it's important. It's important for people understanding, to know the domain language to make things consistent, consistent across the entire platform. But usually experience is much more than that. It's also basically how you're following the standards 
use Dress standard or GraphQL or whatever other technology that's powering your APIs. But also, it's uh, a lot of things that quite often are not even defined in standards. And it's more like best practices. How do you do pagination? What do you do with like nested arrays? How do you link resources to each other? And for that, it's very crucial to understand the use cases. So it's also what we learned. It's very hard to just come up with rules. So all these rules, they should be learned from different use cases. Basically, coming back to the process, how it works right now, we have multiple teams creating uh, public APIs. They can reach out to us at any moment. And, and we have a special group of people, which we call an API review group. In this group, we have quite some experts with developer experience background, but also really developers and other people from different parts of organization who understand how integration look like and how, for example, changes to APIs on one side of the organization can affect others because we want the entire platform to be consistent. This group can be reached out by many different ways. We have multiple channels. So everybody, all the developers in the company, they know this is how they can contact us, which is also very powerful because in the beginning, of course, uh, we were thinking how to make this process and we really uh, needed to make sure that everybody knows us. Every week, uh, there are teams coming with the API designs. We ask them to prepare Basically, we have a checklist, and in this checklist, we ask them to prepare the use cases, how uh, this API should be used, and also to prepare mocks of um, requests and responses and things like that. And uh, what also we found to be very powerful is a stoplight that we use at Adyen. In this case, the main um, advantage of stoplight is its nice visual designer. With this designer, we can easily display the API or the endpoints, navigate through it, and quickly discuss with all the people who are involved in this group. Because an alternative would be just to look at open API standard or, I don't know, what, a Java backend, which can still work, but not everybody has the depth of knowledge. And to make good decisions with API design, we also invite product people to join us. We invite integration managers, any other people from any part of our organization. So basically, everybody is welcome. And this means that we really need to have a good place to discuss things. So basically, we have these discussions um, every week or sometimes more often. And based on this knowledge, we're building also a foundation. Okay, what are the rules, what we really want to enforce? And then there are also uh, different mechanisms how we do this coordination to make sure that in the future we don't make this decision again. We already have a framework and yeah, we already make nice APIs. That's interesting. And who are these API design group? Are they like a, a team of elders that have been doing APIs forever or, or who, who makes up that group? Yeah, so basically in this group, um, again, as I mentioned, people with backend uh, experience background, right? Or with people who work in, I don't know, on the implementation side. But what's more important is that we have a very diverse variety of different opinions because, um, again, technical writers, as I mentioned, can also have very valuable input for your API design decisions. And then in this case, we have like different parts of our system. And for example, if somebody has been working on the financial side and really knows, knows how that works and also how this can have impact on the API decision that we have right now, it's very valuable if we can have this person in our discussions. Yeah, another, uh, I think, pattern of approach we keep hearing from smart folks with successful programs is, you know, in the course of designing APIs, if you only have developers involved, the result will not be as good as if you had 
these other product folks, whatever. And I have to mention, by the way, I didn't set up Alexi to mention that he's a stoplight customer. We appreciate him as one, but I do have to ask stoplight specific questions in the course of this of, it sounds like you guys are actually kind of using this like visually to actually kind of interactively design through things while you're on this, what I assume is kind of a big Zoom call or something with all these folks, right? Yes, correct. And especially with going to online way of working, this also helps. You just mentioned Zoom exactly. So in this case, we all look at the same screen and cover it all together. But of course, we can also do this asynchronously. So basically, if someone wants to create a proposal to change an existing API, this is also very nice. So you can create a branch and play around and uh, do some things and then show to the group. Then everybody can already maybe leave some comments. So usually we have this discussion outside of Stoplight. I don't know basically how to leave comments in Stoplight. Then uh, based on these comments, we have a meeting in person where we can also make decisions. So this is the ideal flow that we really usually try to follow. No, it's cool. I think, you know, there's so often these cases where just getting the right people together to have a discussion and all look at the same source of truth, you know, is just so powerful. <laughs> we see that across, you know, defining some kind of common universal language, agreeing on some of these standards, reviewing individual APIs, diverse group of people actually discussing and looking at the same thing. Seems so obvious, but I love hearing that that's what you guys are doing and that's what's working. I also really forgot to mention one important point, why this API group, API review group, uh, why we really appreciate the setup like we have. Because every person who comes to us at least once, they also become immediately become an enabler and an advocate for good API design. So they come back to their teams and they also share a lot of knowledge. This is how it works. This is like the, the complexity of the decisions. And this is why we should do this properly. I always tell people when they ask about this sort of, you know, how do you distribute and federate things? It's like rule one, ignore the org chart. You know, find the thought leader in that organization, the people who have the passion for APIs. And I like your point is those that come came to you first. It's, that's probably a good indication you have the right kind of person there to, to kind of help and sort of pass the baton of authority to them more and more over time, right? Yes, correct. How did you come up with the original rules of what you think is good? You know, because if you ask like 50 different developers, you're going to get 100 different answers on what makes a good API anyway. So was there just like a whole bunch of bike shedding and then once the dust had settled, those were the rules? Or how did you come up with the original approach? Yeah, it's a very good question because initially, of course, we already had some rules, more implicit than explicit. But when we started uh, really writing down the style guide and everything, so we did quite some research and I've read some quite fascinating books from Phil Sturgeon. At the same time, we really looked at what we also had at that moment because, of course, if you want to change some things and this will mean a lot of breaking changes in your existing APIs, so it's not going to be easy anyway. So basically, we started with that, but we also started thinking, okay, what are the industry standards at this point? What will make life of our merchants easier also to integrate? And also, we tried to look at this not only from a back-end-to-back-end integration perspective, but also if there is any client, uh, front-end or mobile involved, also to look at that, because sometimes I feel that it's missed in API design discussion. So based on that, we came up with, a, I believe, very nice... Um, API style guide that we currently have and that we expand based on our decisions every week. But what I also really like now and what actually want to use more is uh, LinkedIn because with Spectral, we found it to be very easy that you 
can link not only the basics, but ideally you can uh, create any custom rule based on your style guide and then use open API files for linting your APIs. Another transition that we are going through right now is to make sure that all our services and APIs have API contracts represented in an open API format because this wasn't the case before and this is also sometimes not easy to change. But I do see a lot of value in general in OpenAPI standard because it's becoming so popular and so many fantastic tools support it. But also, it's a common way of looking at the API and understanding it. And originally, again, it looks like it started with solving the documentation problem, creating Swagger and all this ecosystem of tooling. But now it really becomes a standard of people sharing their ideas about APIs. And it's a contract also. It's an agreement and something that you can test and also see if it's like really matching the behavior of your API. So there are plenty of things that can come out of it. Again, with Spectral, for example, we, we can automate the style guide, which is also very nice. Yeah, obviously, from you know the stoplight folks on here, Phil and I uh, were obviously adherents of OpenAPI. I was a uh, you know one of the founding members of that group. Was on there for a while. Phil now represents Stoplight for us, so we get that piece. I thought I should refine to you for listeners that Spectral, as Alexi's mentioning here, is a, a linting tool for sort of making sure that you can define rule sets that you want to enforce on style. So we talked about you know is it snake case, is it uh, spine case all your convention stuff, but it can get pretty sophisticated with custom rules to sort of make sure that as you're designing at scale, everybody's designing in the same style. So just because we kept saying spectral, we didn't say what it was. You're a plug machine, my friend. You're a plug machine, by the way. (laughs) Plugging stoplight everywhere. I didn't put them up to it. I swear, listeners, I swear. Hey, while we're talking about it, I just made my favorite rule for Spectral. I've made a, like uh, APIs you won't hate uh, style guide where I've tried to write like everything I put in the book. I tried to turn that into a rule for Spectral, and we just made no, don't use auto incrementing IDs in your in your URLs. Use UUIDs instead, and that that was the the funnest rule to write. It's got some fairly bonkers JSON path in there, but it works. <laughs> I would probably disagree with you on UIDs for resources. But this will make just another podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We could just like invite three or four guests and just riff on what should identifiers be in APIs. <laughs> That'd probably be fun. Yeah, yeah. I think it just had used something. It said use something like UUIDs. So if you want to use Snowflake or something else, that's fine. Just please don't use auto incrementing IDs because they'll download the entire data set. <laughs> <laughs> yes, correct. Exactly. Well, that's officially a uh, nerd rabbit hole. Alexi, you're, I, I think for some folks who might be listening, especially at you know more entrenched organizations where things have been a certain way for a long time, the idea of people from across all different organizations, all different roles, levels, getting together and talking about this stuff sounds pretty alien, you know, where you might be in a, an older, more siloed organization. And I know audience, you know, still relatively young in a lot of ways and probably doesn't have quite as much of that baggage. But any advice on kind of how to approach that for folks who feel like, you know, you're talking about dogs and cats living together in harmony, right? Like, this is crazy talk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So that's a very complicated topic as far as I experience. And I always look at API design as a mixture of technology and people and culture in this sense. But I, usually I was looking at this from the integration perspective, from the customer's perspective. So trying to make sure that the way how we design our APIs is also like really fit in the expectations and experience of merchants or developers who are using these APIs. But what I realized over time that it's, of, of course, it's always a mix of culture and tech, 
but also on the inside of your organization. Because all the people who you work with, so basically they're making a lot of decisions based on their preference, based on their knowledge, based on their expectations, based on what they have. And understanding what they have and looking at the API lifecycle management, not only to the outside, but also to the inside of organization, gives you great insights and power in basically convincing these people and enabling them all together. This might mean a lot of things. First of all, of course, you need to be there to support them, to help them with uh, making nice API design. So when they have this problem, you need to make sure that they have the channels to approach you. They need to know where to find guidance, um, yeah, basically all these resources. Then, of course, um, what helped us recently is that we looked at all the frameworks that we're using to create APIs, and we identified that there are different development patterns that make it easy for developers to create an APIs in a way that wasn't preferred for us from the API design point of view, which also gives you great insights because then in this case, you can think about adopting the frameworks or changing the way and also educating developers and helping them because there is no particular reason for them to build like not nice APIs. They also want the same, right? But this is just the part that usually they see and don't see. And then you can also use this empathy to think more about, I don't know, architecture of your platform, how this affects also the decisions um, related to the public APIs. And this might mean a lot of things like using uh, legacy technology and legacy frameworks. So what's the transition that can happen there? How can we make sure that our merchants are not getting broken integrations on that way? And uh, then how can we get to this goal when in I don't know, several years' time we have everything working nice and smoothly and everybody understands how to create nice APIs? I think for folks who don't work on this kind of stuff, it's always the first tip I give, you know, when they're like, you know, how does all this work? It's like, it has very little to do with technology. <laughs> you know, like when we were talking before the show, you were mentioning that part of kind of the natural collaboration all the, to all this is sort of an inner source mindset of, you know, all the code internally is open and people are able to work on each other's code bases if needed to collaborate and that sort of thing. And I think it's one of the biggest pitfalls, especially at larger organizations, where they just dive in thinking, well, let's just design APIs and, you know, say the Bezos thing and it'll all, the magic will happen, right? Everything should be an API and it's great. But there's a culture change that goes with it in many cases of becoming a platform and thinking like a platform as a company that's much bigger and much tougher. So, I mean, it sounds like you guys are on a shift to design first, moving more toward this kind of collaboration, more intentional with your public APIs. Are you seeing kind of a culture shift happening as a result? Yes, I definitely see that. So basically, recently, we just tried to get some statistics how many APIs and reviews we did like last year compared to previous year. And we saw that it's happening. So actually, we have now much more active discussions and community and more, more people involved in this process and in general more support. At the same time, uh, it's also usually something that you cannot present as, a, as an end goal, at least what I, I see in, in my case, without having good reasons and without having the problems that you're trying to solve with that. So if these problems are visible to everybody, then, of course, uh, everybody just wants to switch to this uh, new way of doing things. But if people really don't feel these problems, if this is someone else's challenge, then uh, it's still difficult. And it's a big part of my job and also everyone in, in my group to 
I convince people to decay to go to the new way of doing things. On that token, uh, I have a question that is bothering me also when I work, I'm working on this challenge because I'm very big fan of the Conway slow. And uh, what I see sometimes that, of course, the way how you build the organization also results in, in the product that you create. And this also means that there are some things in architecture design that uh, really affects, like you mentioned, the business law, right? Every team is independent, creating a lot of services, but then the services need to talk to each other. What is the best way for that? Is it like something like a service mesh? And does it mean that there is a service mesh team in the organization, which is like in this case, it's not a service mesh, but somebody who is connecting all, all these teams all together? Is it a role of API team or not? Maybe there are some other solutions or design decisions that can be a good analogy here. But I just wanted to ask you if you also see this pattern from the discussions with other participants of the podcast. And this is, this is something from your previous experience. Well, you packed a lot in there. Now my head's spinning trying to think. <laughs> Phil, fire away. I, I think you overwhelmed me with that one. Yeah, I, I think I'm following what you're saying. Like when, when it comes to a giant company that has loads of microservices and, and, they don't really know how to interact with each other and you find yourself needing things like service mesh, like that's describing my previous role. That's like, I could, I need to write a whole book about that, but just stuff all over the place. And the problem is when you've got loads of APIs that don't know how to talk to each other very well, you can't teach everyone how to suddenly talk to other APIs incredibly well. And you can't just slap a service mesh in there and expect to get the benefits without also training people how to properly leverage the service mesh you know it's kind of like you need someone's i called it engineering architecture but just like we had a, a team that was dedicated it sat between devops who would manage sort of infrastructure like that and and it would go run around to talk to other developers and other api leads of different teams and things and kind of help them leverage help them do microservices well essentially like okay so this service mesh has got timeouts built in you don't know what a timeout is your things are getting cut short now what do you do well you can do this degraded functionality so that when this service is gone you just kind of show an email form instead of showing the nice wizzy interface or you say contact us via email so i think there's definitely a role that sits between sysops and between api people and it's not quite just architecture it's like a team dedicated to how do you use these things well? How do you live in this eco in this ecosystem effectively without clobbering everybody else or screwing your own app up? But I don't know what that's called. <laughs> yeah, that's something else. <laughs> I think the other thought I have here, though, is that first off, you mentioned Conway's law, which you know I try to like explain for listeners, right? The Conway's law, the old idea that if you're building a compiler and you have one team, you have a one-pass compiler. If you have two teams, you have a two-pass compiler. The software will tend to reflect the organization. You know, I think these questions of like, how should it be architected and all that, definitely important. And, and Phil, you're right, like there's an organizational question of who should do that. Is it DevOps? Is it something else that, I don't know, I feel like those, those always get figured out in organizationally dependent ways. The bit that's a level higher, and then this Conway's Law mindset, is if you design your platform for customers, meaning if we drew this diagram on the wall of how this system works at a capability level, would customers understand it? If you're building things that way, the organization will shift toward that, and your entire organization becomes more customer-centric. Right? I think that concept is vastly more important 
than you know what API gateway or service mesh or whatever that you use. You could have a wonderfully architected, you know, internally engineered system, but if you ultimately are building a platform that does not reflect your customers' needs, it doesn't matter. So, and to the point of culture shift, to me, that's one of the biggest ones. Is do you actually know what you make for your customers? You'd be surprised how often companies at large don't. Right? It's this sprawling landscape of activity. They don't know how to model it. Yes, exactly. So in our case, that's what makes this job so fascinating. So you really need to see all the different parts of your business and think about your customers. And you know, for what it's worth in terms of other listeners and you know, folks we meet, I think this is always it's almost existential angst, right? It's like you know you should be doing it really, really well and it never feels like you're doing it well enough. But I think that's part of, in some ways, a broader culture shift that all of software is going through is, is in recognizing that design is an important step, that the empathy required to have with customers should be part of how you build your systems, your company, you know, how you organize, how you work together. And that, that in some ways, I think, is the, the trickiest bit. And it's also the secret sauce as to why this kind of API economy thing is taking over, is we've injected a layer of design and empathy on top of these big, complicated stacks, right? So, exciting times. Well, Alexi, I think you touched on a bunch of things here that I thought we should summarize real quick. And I think the first was that you certainly push for this kind of design-first, high collaboration, kind of inter-source style approach that... API review is not done kind of in a vacuum by you know some ivory tower team, but that it's a, a broad collaborative effort, finding the right thought leaders from each given domain, including them, and having a diverse group of technical business and other to make sure that you're getting all the angles. And that within that, using some level of kind of automated style guide to take all the boring stuff out of the discussion so you can talk about the meaty things like, you know, how customer-centric is this? I guess any other kind of wrap-up thoughts to add here or things that you felt like I I missed in my summary there? Okay, this was a perfect summary. Thank you very much. Cool. Any other uh, words for uh, maybe folks who use Audion and who are listening and, you know, wondering for any tips or upcoming things or exciting stuff? Yeah, you can find us on Twitter at Dev to follow our work and also to give you feedback. We're always very willing to uh, see what you're doing and also to help with that. And of course, if you want to join us or if you want to uh, follow our company, please feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn or Twitter. Well, thanks so much, Alexi. Uh, this was, I think, all in the right spirit, I think, resonates well, certainly for Phil and I on things that you know we believe in at Stoplight. And it's exciting to see, uh, in this case, a customer, which is even better, right, that we're aligned. But I think for community, that there are principles in here that just work, and we keep hearing it over and over again. So it's pretty cool. Well, thanks again, Phil, for uh, co-hosting as well. Yeah, cheers. Thank you for having me today. Absolutely. It was our pleasure. Well, thanks for listening to uh, API Intersection. Bye, y'all. Thanks for listening. If you have a question you want to ask, look in the description of whichever platform you're viewing or listening on, and there should be a link there so you can go submit a question, and we'll do our best to find out the right answer for you.